so welcome, welcome. Um, you ever notice how it doesn't take much in life to throw you off? If you're used to things being a certain way, uh, you get find comfort in that, and then when that thing disappears, um, uh, you just really feel kind of exposed and vulnerable. Things feel a little unsettled. Anybody ever have that kind of uh, experience? Yeah. I know you think I'm going to start going somewhere deep with that. No, normally there's a monitor sitting directly in front of me right here when I'm speaking. And I know you guys can't tell the difference, but I feel completely vulnerable to you all today because uh, there's no monitor sitting in front of me. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, all right, so we are in week four and the final week uh, of this series. And we've basically been looking at the question of how do I know what God wants me to do? Uh, how, how do I know if something that I'm planning on doing is my idea? Is it God's idea? Is it someone else's idea that's just bled in? And the churchy phrase that we've put on that over the last uh, uh, several weeks is uh, that's the idea of figuring out what is God's will for my life. That's how you said it growing up in church. You got to seek God's will, find God's will. What is God's will for your life? And that whole God's will thing is really kind of an abstract idea that uh, really when somebody talks about it to you, when you're trying to figure out what to do in life, uh, a lot of times isn't helpful because you don't even know what that means. And so uh, we've been talking over the last few weeks and just kind of trying to get a handle on this whole idea of this God's will thing and, and how to figure it all out. And we talked about how there's basically three different versions of God's will uh, that we could kind of grab hold of and figure out what was going on. The first was God's providential will. That was those things that are gonna happen in God's plan no matter what we do or don't do. Those things are happening. Uh, those are kind of there and uh, that exists. Then there's the moral will, which is those things that are spelled out in scripture, just black and white. Things you don't even ever need to pray for uh, if you're trying to figure out what to do in a situation. You never need to pray the prayer, God, should I lie in this situation? His moral will has laid that out clearly uh, in the scriptures. Um, and so in between those two, the providential and the moral will, if those kind of act as guardrails, lies the one that most of us are really interested in, which is God's personal will for us. That is, what does God want for my life, right? And, and we've talked about how the more familiar through scripture and through um, your interaction with other people who are, who are followers of Christ, the more familiar you are with God's providential will, kind of what he's up to over the span of history and that moral will, the easier it is to figure out the personal will of what God has for you. Uh, we've also looked over the last couple of weeks at a couple of tools uh, that God has given us to kind of figure it out. Uh, we've talked about seeking counsel uh, from, other, from other people, getting outside uh, counsel, especially from wise people who have been through the things that we're going through. And then last week, we spent quite a bit of time um, talking about finding principles within the scriptures to help guide uh, the decisions that we make as we're trying to figure out um, what God wants for us because every single one of the principles that are in the scriptures, uh, every decision we make cuts across and intersects with one of those principles. So the more familiar you can become with those, the easier it is when it comes time to make your personal decisions. It's kind of like a big funnel that it's like you have all the choices in the world, right? And then as you get to know God's you know, providential will and moral will, and you start to understand the principles and talk to people, it kind of funnels you down and starts to narrow down the decisions that are actually ones that you want to make in your life as you're trying to figure out God's will. Now, there are so many ways that we could end up this series. 
Uh, I could drag it out into January. I don't think any of us want that to happen. Um, but, you know, there's, we, we could talk about authority and working under authority, that kind of stuff. Giftedness, what has God naturally gifted you with? Does that lead you to places that you need to be going? Um, you know, asking wisdom, asking a question, what's the wise thing to do in these situations? Lots of things that we could talk about. Um, but there's another facet of determining God's will for your life, what he wants you uh, to be doing, that is often overlooked because the idea of it just feels so abstract. And it's not really something we can get a grip of. And so it becomes really, really overlooked. And, and it's difficult to explain. And there's a good chance that you walk out of here and I've done a poor job of explaining it. And you're just kind of confused. If that happens, my sincerest apologies. I'll try and do better next week. Um, but uh, it's very central to kind of how God works in so many different situations. This is something that God uses over and over and over again in people's lives to help them narrow down the decisions, the options that they're, they're making. And, and it may not seem appropriate on the surface to talk about this when we're talking about uh, God's will, but hopefully by the time I get to the back end of everything we're talking about, you'll see that it is indeed relevant. So what I want to talk about today is this. I want to talk about vision. Vision, and no, not your eyesight, um, even though I am approaching 50 and still have perfect 2020, uh, which means I can see all the things you guys are doing there. Um, no, not that kind of vision. Um, the vis this vision in one of the primary ways that God will direct people and guide you in your life is by giving you a big picture vision for the overall life that you're to have. Right, that big picture. And the clearer that vision is to you, the more you're kind of like, okay, I understand it. That's where I want to be getting. The fewer options that you have. Your options become much more limited when you have a clearer vision. And the fewer options, the easier it is to make a decision, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, Kate asked me to go to a grocery store to pick some item up. And I walk in and I'm staring at a shelf with 40 different versions of that item. And I end up just wanting to just turn around and walk away and not choose any of them, right? It's decision overload. So the, the narrower you can make, the fewer decisions you can, uh, options you can narrow that down to, the easier it is. And for our purposes, um, the, what we're talking about in vision is simply a destination, that is, where do you want to end up in life, right? Um, now, not, I, again, I'm not talking about a vision, you know, like something you might see when hallucinating in a sweat lodge out in a desert somewhere, passing around some pipe of some sort, like not that kind of vision. I'm talking about an overview of your life, what you want your life to look like and how you want your life to end up. Because God has a picture of what he wants your life to look like. Right? He, want, he has a picture of what he wants to see happen in your marriages, in your relationships, in your family. He, he has a vision of what he wants to see happen for you professionally and in your career and the things that you're doing with your finances. He has an idea of what that looks like. There is a picture out there of what could be and what should be in your life. And so what I want to encourage you to do today as we kind of work our way through this for the next 20 minutes or so is that I want you to start asking God actively. Ask God for the big picture of what he wants for your life, of what he wants it to look like. Because as you begin to ask that question, 
And as you begin to draw on many of the resources that we've talked about over the last three weeks, and if you've missed any of those, there's a lot of good stuff to help you make these kinds of decisions. You will begin to create that mental picture of what could and should be in your life. And, and as that happens, your vision gets clearer and clearer and the options get fewer and fewer and the decisions get easier. Now, there are times that you kind of look back and reflect on life, right? One of those times is when one of your kids turns the age that they get to go get their driver's permit, <laughs> which happened to me two days ago. And uh, it's interesting because Facebook must have known uh, that I was feeling nostalgic that I've got a grown-up kid now and started showing me all the old pictures, you know, from this tall up to this tall now. And I was looking through and I was remembering some of those things. And then I came across one and there was a time I loved doing puzzles. No one else in my family enjoys doing puzzles. I'll make my kids sit and do it sometimes. Um, but when, when, when my oldest was younger, um, he would sit down and he would just start doing the puzzle and wouldn't look at the picture on the box. <laughs> he was just grabbing pieces and just seeing if they fit together. Sometimes they weren't even flipped over right. They'd have the, the cardboard on the back. You know, but he was young. He didn't know anybody sticking the pictures together or whatever. And he was trying to put it together without knowing what the bigger picture was, which can I tell you is darn near impossible. Because when you don't have an idea of what you're shooting for, the individual pieces and the choices that you make with it in and of themselves don't make sense. There's no context for them. You can't figure out what they are and how they interact with each other. And the same way it is if trying to put a puzzle together without ever looking at the box to see what it's supposed to look like, that's what it's like just going through and making decisions in your life just as they come on what you should do without having a clear picture of what you want your life to look like. And hopefully you've gotten that picture in conjunction with praying to God. Hey, what, what God, what do you want my life to look like? If you don't have the lid, the pieces are darn near worthless. But if you have that lid, if you have that picture, if you have that bigger vision with enough time, with enough thought and enough effort, you can put that picture together. Now, what tends to happen is we charge into life, so many of us, without a clear picture of what we want our life to be. And we are forced to make decisions without any of that context, right? So we've got God's providential will, his moral will. Uh, he's given other believers and, and wise people to counsel us. Uh, he's given the principles and the scriptures that we have. But as you begin to develop that clear vision for what God wants for the future parameters of your life, your decision-making will be narrowed down. That funnel becomes smaller and smaller and smaller to where, where you need to be eventually drops out of the bottom, right? So, for example, maybe you're in a position in life where, you know, maybe you're younger, you're still, you haven't reached the point of life, or maybe you reach that point and you're coming back around and something happened and life didn't go right and you're doing it again, but maybe you find yourself in a position where you're single and you're like, well, I'd like to be married, right? What would that look like is the question that should be asked. If that is a goal, like what, what go beyond just, I want to be married. Go, what do I want my marriage to look like? As you begin to just ask that question, there are a whole lot of people 
that you might normally decide to go out with and get involved with that if just married is the goal, sure. But if you get a picture of, well, what do I want that marriage to look like? Uh, all of a sudden, some of the options don't apply to that anymore, right? If you're trying to get your finances together, what could be and what should be? What do I want my finances to look like? And if you get an actual picture of that, instead of just being like, well, what do I have today? What do I want to do? And just doing that. If you have a bigger picture, all of a sudden, some of those options of ways to spend your money don't fit into that bigger picture. You can eliminate those. Nothing super spiritual about that, right? Your spending options will quickly dwindle. And the same goes with every facet of your life. As a, as a parent, what do you want your relationship with your kids to look like? And if you can get that picture kind of understood, all of a sudden the decisions of how you parent, the way you react, the things you put emphasis on, the things you let go by, all of a sudden those start making those decisions a lot easier because you've got a clear vision of where you want to be, right? Your career. I mean, you pick an aspect of life. This is vital, having an idea of what you want it to look like at the end. Now, the truth is, is that all of us sitting in the room have a general idea of what we want our life to look like, right? If I asked, you know, uh, where, you know, where do you see your family? Where do you see, you know, in five years, you know, you'll have some kind of response. Oh, we'll do this or this or this, you know, some general idea. But the problem is, is that as long as the overall picture stays general, that doesn't really help eliminate your options along the way. That, that doesn't really do it. It's not helpful. Like I said, you may say, you know, you may say, well, I want to be married. Newsflash, anybody can be married. What are you willing to sacrifice for it? What are you willing for that marriage to look like? That's where it starts to change, right? I want to have kids. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that can happen. But what do you want that to look like? Define it more as to what you want that to look like, right? And some of you have discovered this professionally because this is something that in the professional world is pushed. I mean, my goodness, standard interview questions. What, what, where do you see yourself in five years? What is your five-year? We've been trained in our professional life. We'll be like, well, if I want to get to this job, that means I got to back up. I got to go through this one and this one and this one, which requires this training and this education. And we kind of lay it out. And when we know what that end goal is, man, all those decisions are much easier to make. But we don't tend to do that with the rest of our life. We don't have those clear defined goals like so many of us do in the professional world, right? Um, and so consequently, what happens is a lot of people, if you look around, start making all sorts of headway in their career and their jobs. <laughs> Very successful, right? But things just seem to be muddled and kind of frustrating in the rest of their life. Why is that? It's because they don't have a clear vision of where they want their life to be. So you need to begin asking the question, what do I want my life to look like? And if it helps you to fall in that professional format of it, put a timeline on it. What do I want my family to look like in five years? What do I want the relationships? What do I want my marriage to look like in five years? What do I want my finances to look like in five years? And if you can clarify that, you can work backwards and set the goals <laughs> and the steps that you need to take, which makes your decision-making much, much easier. 
because priorities start to rise to the surface. And once you have those priorities, you can act on them. And as Christians, when we allow God to have input on this process, input on the picture for our lives and let him kind of guide us to what, what he might have, it makes finding out his will, figuring out his will so much easier. And the thing is this, is that you don't even have to be a Bible scholar to know what God has to say about all of these different areas in our lives, right? This is things that I sit up here and week after week and year after year have talked about. Family, marriage, money, reputation, career, all of these things, right? God speaks to these things. Uh, when, I, when I was on staff at, at a church up in Ohio, um, there was, I, I don't know, probably six or seven of us on the pastoral staff. And um, there was one couple, uh, and uh, he first introduced this idea to me, that couple did. And um, they had made a list of desired outcomes that they wanted in their life, right? And so anytime there was a difficult decision to be made, anytime there was a priority to be set, they went to that list and that list eliminated most of the options, right? And so as a result, um, in a, a work environment, in a work culture, where essentially uh, it had turned into a competition of who could work the most hours, we had a little sign-in sheet, you had to sign in and out and put your total hours and then total it up at the end of the week as the staff, and regularly, you went down through the pastoral staff and almost everybody was between 65 and 70 hours. And there seemed to be some sort of pride. That was the culture that was created in that. And you go through there and week after week after week, his said 40. He didn't buy into it. He had set what I want my life to look like is I have healthy time at work and I have healthy time with my family. I cannot have that time with my family if I'm trying to keep up with everybody else just to make the hours look good on the sheet. That's an example of when the vision becomes clear, a lot of the options of what you could choose to do all of a sudden are not viable options and the decisions become easier. Now, the passage I want to look at today contains a phrase uh, that should be a, a regular part of our thinking when it comes to making decisions. Uh, in context for this, I had talked about this at uh, one of our pool church services over the summer. Uh, I talked a little bit about this guy, um, but some, some background here. Uh, there was a guy named Nehemiah who was a cupbearer uh, for the king, right? And uh, it was a king who, uh, who his predecessors had destroyed and conquered the nation of Israel. And God had judged Israel. He had scattered them for 70 years. And after that time, um, Jewish people began to be able to reassemble back into Jerusalem. And when they came back from being scattered to all the different nations uh, around Israel, they began to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. Now, Nehemiah, he was still a captive uh, to a king who was about 800 miles away from the city of Jerusalem, right? So he was far away and he had heard through different people who had traveled to where he was and back, he had heard um, that the walls around the city of Jerusalem were still uh, just reduced to rubble. They were still destroyed. Um, 
And that is a big deal for cities back then uh, because a city without walls was a vulnerable city that would not stand and be a city for long. And so as they were trying to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city, as the Jewish people were gathering back into Jerusalem, uh, Nehemiah got a burden to go back and rebuild the wall. And many times the vision that you might get, the vision that's connected to your life might begin as a burden. You might come across something that it just kind of strikes a chord in you. And it may sit just a little heavy. And it may be one of those things that you, you're like, oh man, I don't know what I can do, but I've got to do something in this arena to this. That's how a vision starts a lot of times, as a burden, a sense that something needs to be changed or done. But eventually, Nehemiah gets the opportunity to go back and begin to rebuild the walls that surround the city of Jerusalem. Right? And there are all sorts of problems, all sorts of things that get in his way as he begins rebuilding the walls, all kinds of people who don't think it can be done and trying to get everybody together on the same page, all sorts of things, right? But he spends months and months getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody together and beginning to rebuild these walls. Now, while he's doing this, there are a couple neighboring leaders, uh, in other cities and, and nations that are just kind of around them who are threatened by this because if those walls are rebuilt, that establishes uh, the, the, Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish people and Israel as a nation and an entity again, which is a threat to them. So they see this kind of taking place. They start getting worried. They start getting nervous about it. They don't want Israel to become a power again because Israel had been a power at one point uh, in, the, uh, in the region. So they threaten and try to hurt Nehemiah as he's building this wall. They try and do whatever they can to get him to abandon his goal to get these walls rebuilt. Right? So they threaten to hurt him, do whatever. Finally, they conclude Nehemiah cannot be deterred. He is going to make this happen. And this is their last ditch effort to try and stop him from building that wall. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, in that, don't you wish that was your name, Sanballat? Uh, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So basically these guys were like, listen, we have done everything we can to stop the building of the wall and it hasn't worked. The wall's finished. All that's left is to set the doors, right? We can't do it. The best thing we can do now is to try and take out the leader. Right, so they send out this invitation to Nehemiah. Right, they said, would you meet with us? And it gives us the location of, oh no, that was about 20 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. They said, would you come meet? And their premise was that they wanted to get together and say, hey, Nehemiah, we've had our issues. We tried to get in your way. We tried to stop you. But listen, we see the wall's almost done. You know, let's put bygones, let's let bygones be got bygones, put it all behind us and let's just, you know, get along and work it out. But their true intention was they were gonna get him up there to that city and they were gonna kill him. That's what they wanted to do. In fact, he knows it because here's what he wrote. But they were scheming to harm me. He knew what was up, right? So he sends this reply. 
He says to them, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Now in the New American Standard uh, Version, the first sentence of that reads like this. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now picture this, Nehemiah up on a ladder. Since he's saying come down, let's put him up literally. He's up on a ladder, right? Working on one of the hinges, getting it set into the wall so they're gonna be able to, to do the door, right? He's up there doing that. When a messenger comes to him, shakes the ladder and says, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, right? These guys wanna meet with you. We think they wanna make good. And if Nehemiah looks down, says, tell them, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Four times with that answer, four times. And the significance of that response was this, is that he knew what God had called him to do. He knew he had a vision for what he was supposed to be accomplishing with his life, right? He knew. So anything that had anything to do with anything other than building that wall and accomplishing that vision was something that was gonna be an easy no for him. Easy pass. Doesn't have anything to do with what God has me doing. And so I'm gonna say no. And in that context, decision-making for Nehemiah became really easy. Any decision came up. Does it help me fulfill the vision God has given me? Yes, I'm in. No, nope. It narrowed down his options. Once he had the big picture, his options clarified themselves and decision-making became simple. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Now listen, life is always going to be offering you things. There are always gonna be decisions to make, things to do, right? But knowing the big picture Having a vision for what you and what God wants your life to look like makes it easy to look at so many of those things that life will offer up to you and look at them and say, nope, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Nope, that will go against the work I'm doing to create the family I wanna create. Nope, that will go against the work I'm doing to create the financial situation in my life I wanna create. Nope, that will go against the work that I'm doing of being the person that God wants me to be. So that's an easy no, an easy no. Imagine, right? Imagine how much easier decision-making is if your vision for what you want your life to be is clearer. Because we've gotta know what to say no to. And if we don't, we just find ourselves doing more and more and more things. And don't get me wrong, I'm not even saying all of the things are bad. They're not, there's other things that are in and of themselves might be fantastic things, but they take you away from that vision of what you want your life to be. It moves you further and further away. So we've got to know where God is taking us and anything that adds to it is a yes. Anything that detracts from it is a no. I mean, that's just everything. Prioritizing your family and your kids over your work. Being in a position to give financially when something comes across your path that strikes, that gives you a burden, that strikes a chord with you 
And you say, I want to help there. Being in a position to be able to actually help there. My goodness, uh, not too long ago, I saw an amazing example of this. As we've got, many of you know uh, Doretha, who is a person that just has faced an amazing challenges in life that kind of as a church we have adopted. And something happened and she came into a moment of need and I sent out a message. I sent out, I sent out a message to everyone. Hey, Doretha's in a time of need. If you can, give. And the number of people within the church who were able to say, yes, not only does that strike a chord with me, but I've handled my finances in such a way that yes, I can help in this moment and helped. And my goodness, I mean, I, I don't want, I, I try to really shy away from hyperbole when I talk to you guys. I try and keep it as real as I can, but I'm not kidding when I say in that moment, the amount of money we were able to send her to help her through that moment could very literally have been a life-saving moment for her. And thank God there's some of you in the room who have handled your finances in such a way that when God lays something on your heart, you can help and you can respond. It was absolutely amazing. And that goes to every single aspect. As you think about what God is doing in your life, you gotta recognize when opportunities come along, if those contribute or detract from your vision. Now, in this situation, Nehemiah was avoiding something bad because <laughs> those guys were planning to kill him. So it was a great move uh, on his part. But sometimes the options that come along, they're not bad. They just waste your time. They just draw you away from what you need to be doing. So as the picture becomes clear, the decisions become easier. And my goodness, isn't that a powerful tool to hang on to when it comes to making decisions in your life? And, you know, I, I've been a pastor for a long time now, longer than it seems, 20 years I've been doing this. And the number of times that I've had people come to me, say, hey, I've got this opportunity. A lot of times it's with careers. I can switch jobs. It'll make so much more money. It'll help in this area. What do you think? I'm like, well, you just gave me a whole bunch of positives. Why are you questioning the decision? Well, it'll be more travel. Well, it'll be more time away from the family. Well, it'll be more hours in the office. Well, it'll be a lot more stress because the responsibilities will pile up. Well, and as I begin to talk people through those types of situations, it's like, well, what is your ultimate goal? What do you want your life to look like? Do you want to see your family not very often and be stressed and tired when that happens and whatever relationships those lead to? Is that what you're looking for? And what's amazing to me is I don't have to get very far into a whole lot of those conversations for people to realize like, oh yeah, mm, not sure why I was even struggling with this. Yeah, no, I don't want to live my life stressed. No, I don't want to have strained relationships with my children and with my spouse. No, no, the extra money's not worth it. And time after time after time, as I've helped people get through decisions, just simply asking them what they wanted in the bigger picture, it was amazing how quick sitting there at the table over a cup of coffee, they began to knock options out of what they were trying, deciding they needed to do. And this is one of the ways that God directs us. Ask him what could be, ask him what should be, and to help you to begin to change your thoughts and priorities accordingly. Now, here's the point. As you think about what God wants for you in your future, 
right? And begin to catch a glimpse of that picture. Decision-making becomes easier. So here's three things. I'm gonna leave you with practical things um, for you to do. Here's the first thing I want you to do. So I want you to begin, be willing uh, to begin praying that God give you a clear vision for what he wants in your life. Begin praying that. And all, all the area, add all the areas, family, relationships, financially, professionally, what, what, health, whatever it is, all of the areas. Begin, begin to try and get a bit of the lid of the puzzle box picture so that so you can begin basing your idea and start having an idea of what to do with the pieces that are sitting in front of you in your life. And many of us are afraid to do this because as long as there's not a clear picture of what we're striving to get to, there's nothing to be held or measured against. Which as long as there's nothing to be held or measured against, you're not failing. You're not making wrong decisions because there aren't measurable right decisions to be made. And so it's so much easier to kind of put that off because once you get that picture and that vision, now you're being held to something. And it's hard to be held to something. Here's the second thing I wanna encourage you to do. As that vision starts to become clear and you come up with the way you want your life to look and the things you wanna be doing, write it down. Like write, like physically, old school pen and paper. Write it down down, right? It doesn't have to be in a journal with nice leather bound covers. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know, it can just be one sentence. Like I'm not looking for a three page, you know, outline of what it is you want your life to look like. Maybe it can be, it can be one sentence. I mean, something as simple as I want my kids to want to come visit me after they leave the house. That may be when it comes to the relationship with your kids, that may be the vision. And so every decision you make goes up against that. Is this going to lead to the relationship where they want to come see me once they're out, right? Over time, God will refine it. He'll add, you know, make it a little clearer on the edges. But if you don't have anything to start out with, like a sentence like that, you know, again, you lack context and context is crucial when it comes to making decisions. The third thing, act accordingly which doesn't seem like I should have to say that. But I have to say that because I watch so many people not do the things that they know they should be doing or getting involved with things they know they shouldn't be getting involved with based on where they want to end up in life. Begin making your decisions on what could and should be. Anything that moves you towards that is a yes. Anything that takes you away is a no. And if you begin to think and respond in this way, that whole just really nebulous, hard to get a hold of what is God's will for my life thing becomes so much easier and so much clearer. And the clearer the vision, the fewer the options and the easier making decisions becomes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have given us practical ways to figure out what you want for us. Lord, I thank you that it's not just some guessing game that we got to try and just do the best we can. And when we get to the end, we hope everything was good enough and that we don't get in trouble when we face you one day in the sweet by and by. 
But God, you have given us so many tools, so many avenues, uh, so many ways for us to become more familiar with you, the things that you're up to, the things you do and don't want us doing in general. So many people to talk to, guidance to have, principles to understand. And Lord, in the same way, you will help us if we open ourselves up to it, clarify the vision of what we want our life to look like. And Lord, let us all do the work that it takes to create that vision so that then the decisions that we have to make become so much easier. As the pieces in front of us with the context of the bigger picture become so much easier to work with. Lord, I thank you that you are not just a supernatural being who works in supernatural ways, but you are practical and give us things we can do to live the best life that you have for us. Lord, I thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today. Uh, Look forward to next week as we start a brand new series and work our way towards Thanksgiving and then December.